We've just had the Italian Mudder GP at Mugello, and unfortunately we start reflecting on a very sad weekend in the paddock after the death of Swiss Moto3 rider Jason Dupasquier. After a crash in final qualifying and all that the medical crews did to help, he sadly died on Sunday morning of the race itself. Riding for the Proustal KTM team, Jason was 10th in the overall standings in this, his second year of top flight Grand Prix racing. It was almost a freak accident, but it changes nothing. It's just a very sad cloud that has been cast over the paddock after this weekend. Lessons will be learnt, but unfortunately, motorcycle racing is dangerous. Toby Moody, Valentin Harunchi, Simon Patterson here to talk Mugello and the Italian Grand Prix for 2021. And I'm going to skip our what comes into your mind after this weekend. We'll leave that for another day. But focusing in on the MotoGP, Fabio Quattararo, he blitzed the pole position with the fastest ever two-wheeled lap of Mugello and then promptly went on to win the race. He now has a 24-point lead in the MotoGP World Championship going into Barcelona this coming weekend. How big could that lead have been were it not for his arm pump at Jerez? Valentin. Yeah, would have been, you know, another 25 points and maybe a bit more because everybody moved up because he, he he because of what happened to him and in Jerez, obviously, and I mean, he would have been worth every single point of that lead. I think it's fair to say that Fabio's has done incredible all season, and particularly in Mugello, as as Valentino Rossi put it, he's he's making the difference among the Yamahas. Uh, the other Yamahas weren't really at the races here. The other Yamahas were having the kind of Mugello weekend that you would expect them to have when you look at its huge straight, and for Fabio, it didn't really seem to matter. He he had immense pace all throughout. He left his factory teammate absolutely in the shade. Uh, looked never in doubt. It, it really genuinely looked never in doubt. And there's been a few weekends like this now. So, yeah, he's our he's our title favorite for, for 2021. That's not recency bias. That's that's the season so far. For, for everything he did all weekend, um, and in the most worrying thing I can imagine if you're one of his rivals, Fabio Cuadraro looked like Jorge Lorenzo in a Yamaha. That it was a Jorge Lorenzo weekend. It was a about about five laps to go. MotoGP threw up uh, his race pace in a graphic on the screen, and it was like a metronome. It was just he would do a lap, he would do a lap at the exact same time. The next lap would be point one slower. The next lap would be point one slower. The next lap would be the same. The same point one slower. It was just perfect. He just managed that the way that Jorge Lorenzo used to manage races from the front on the Yamaha to win by a big lead. Even more impressively, he arguably forced his main title contender into making a mistake and crashing out, which extended his lead even more. And he absolutely blitzed them all in qualifying to make sure he was starting from P1 as well. And then made the best start we've seen a Yamaha MotoGP bike make this year. It was the perfect weekend for Fabio Cuadraro. Yeah, that start that start was something else, and it, it it says a lot about there. There are just good signs all around for Quartararo and Yamaha all throughout. Basically, that race, the start was really good. Yes, Bagnaia's Ducati power then did 
did him on approach to San Donato, but the fact that the initial getaway was so good is, is very encouraging for the other tracks, because that's Yamaha's obvious glaring weakness. And as for Fabio himself, obviously, Mugello was a track to be worried about for arm pump or, you know, just physical complications after his surgery. And, I mean, he never really eased off. There was maybe a, a little drop of pace towards the end, but that was probably just, you know, abundance of caution. Uh, if, if this is how it goes on, then, I mean, the, the championship... I mean, we're in, we're a bit in trouble here if this is how it goes on because he's he's really been really quick everywhere. Yeah, and looking at the bigger picture, after the Aaron Pump surgery, after the disappointment of Hareth, the way that he's bounced back, it, it it sounds like all the stuff he said in preseason about working on his mental training and making himself mentally stronger and being more resilient, he has actually learned all that because. He has just been, you know, he had the disappointment, he had the surgery, and since then he's just went from strength to strength. And to be told an hour before you jump on the bike that somebody's died, the mental strength you need to do that, it, it's not easy. It's not easy. And actually, we don't really know how difficult it is because we've never ridden a MotoGP bike and we never will. Uh, that was his weak point, arguably, last year. And to overcome that with the presence of mind, we then saw on the cooling down lap, all the emotions then flood out. The tidal wave then was coming out. And um, we felt we felt for everybody. We felt for everybody. Exactly that. We know that Fabio is an emotional character. We know that he wears his heart in his sleeve. And we know that, that Sunday was a really, really tough heavy day for the championship and he he was able to compartmentalize that he was able to put it to one side for 45 minutes and then immediately open that box again afterwards and you know it, it it's healthy the way he dealt with that given what he had to do looked healthy mentally you're absolutely right simon and i've heard other uh, racing drivers talk about it they um they put it's Derek Warwick. Derek Warwick, he lost his brother, uh, who was very quick, and Derek really struggled to get over it. And he said, right, okay, he went through all sorts of things in the weeks after the accident when he lost his brother, Paul. And he said, I had to put Paul in the, Paul in the box for the weekend, and then I'd let him out after the race. It, it's, it's, you've, you've said it without knowing that story I've just said, Simon. Okay, well, as you as you touched on Simon uh, Pekka Banyaya, I thought, wow, come on, he's going to do it. Uh, he 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 had a good start, as we've touched on. He didn't run away with the start down to San Donato. He had the lead, and he binned it. Oh goodness me, I'm surprised you didn't hear me shouting at the television from here. Was that his chance to win the Italian Grand Prix as an Italian on an Italian bike? With hindsight, no, because we've just said. Quattararo was going to win that race when the sun came up yesterday morning. But Banyaya later admitted that he wasn't maybe in the right place for riding a MotoGP bike once those lights went out after the Dupasquier news. Do you think he could have won it? Uh, yeah, I think he probably could have won it, but certainly with Fabio's form, it would have been really tough. But thing is, I don't, I don't know what Pecco makes of it because he very understandably refused to talk about the race itself pretty much because he had one very important message after the race and that was that he didn't feel it, it should have been taking place and he did not 
want to be there. And when we say that, you know, Fabio did well to compartmentalize and to to be able to sort of put that to the side, that's I think that's not in any way to denigrate uh, Pecco or Danilo Petrucci or anybody like that. I mean, I was in, in Pecco's debrief yesterday, Simon was too, and um, it was... Uh, it was a rough time. It was a really rough time, and I, I felt, I felt all all kinds of empathy in the world. Um, in you know when when the crash happened, and I think everybody right away knew that it was really 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 bad and getting worse by the minute with the with the helicopter out. Even for me, I found it difficult to regroup and start working on qualifying stuff when FP four began, and. I, I'm just a hack. I, I just sit in front of the of the computer in this case and just type up words and they have to go out there and three at three fifty and go absolutely crazy. And you know, Danilo Petrucci was very evocative about how that felt wrong and, and Pecco basically admitted that, you know, he really struggled to deal with it and then when the pre race, you know, when the news came and when the moment of silence came it just threw him off and I I I cannot blame him for one second. I cannot pass judgment in any way, shape or form, I think. Um, he deserves a lot of support for being very honest with us about that, and it's I'm I'm very sorry for how how it panned out for him. Different people react in different ways, and and that's exactly what we saw yesterday. I don't think it's a coincidence that the people in MotoGP I would regard as the more I don't want to say sensitive because that's not quite the right word, but the the people who are maybe more in touch with how they feel, the people who are less hard are the people who struggled most yesterday. You know, people like Franco Morbidelli, people like Danilo Petrucci. Um, yeah, I, I I don't think that's uh I don't think that happened as a coincidence. I think there were people yesterday who were really struggling and I don't blame them for one minute. You know, it was a really, really tough day. And I mean obviously with Banyaya's words and Petrucci's words, the there was a question that rose up of whether the race should have happened at all, whether and I I don't have an answer to that. I don't really even have a strong opinion on that because it's such a difficult question. There have been very good arguments for and against. Uh, Rossi said it made no sense to race, but it also made no sense not to race. And that's basically, yeah, it's basically correct. But I've seen some rather mean replies on social media aimed at sort of Banya and Petrucci and stuff like that and you know questioning their mindset and I I can't abide by that at all they were they were broken by Saturday and Sunday and they can't they can't be faulted for for what happened we there is there is an attitude that these guys are gladiators that they're superheroes that you know and the media are responsible for it sometimes because it's it's bigged up but the reality is that they're kids going out and doing crazy dangerous things and of course there's an impact on them from it um you know it's it's all too easy to forget that and there's a lot of people at home who don't have to forget it because they've never even realized it um you know th there's a lot of fans out there who who don't don't understand that they've got wives and girlfriends and families and mothers um, that, that care about them and that they care about. And yeah, it is tough. It's really, really tough. You always think it's never going to happen to you. There's a lot of people at the racetrack yesterday who've, who've never experienced death at a racetrack. 
There's a lot of people at the racetrack yesterday who've never experienced death at a MotoGP Grand Prix weekend. Um, and, you know, it's one of my kind of lines, isn't it? You've both heard it. There's only one person jumping on the motorbike and it's down to them. And then, of course, there's this, this it's this unspoken pressure from people. You've got to race. It's the... It, I will, I will, we will all, we will all admire the first man who says, do you know what? I'm not putting my leathers on. I'm not going to the grid. He would be, you know, if it was Danilo, if it was whomever, yes, Peko yesterday said, do you know what? Really sorry, I'm not doing this. I mean, it's a fact. Poor old Banyaya fell off at the corner where the accident happened. Maybe his mind was just not there for that hundred thousandths of a second because it's there you know the 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 sixth sense is is there and and it all went wrong and one day somebody you know nikki some racing driver louder prost they've jumped out of their car i'm not i'm not doing this i'm not doing this it's dangerous i'm only a club motorsport guy there's one hill climb i won't drive at it's dangerous um but one day a motor gp guy will say i'm not doing this yeah i for for peko is not not a matter of it being dangerous, like he accepts the danger clearly, but it was a matter of being not emotionally ready for it, which I think is perfectly understandable. I, I will say that the, there is this very complicated consideration. We obviously don't know what the contracts say, what the conversations with the team managers were, whatever. It doesn't, not really, shouldn't really be speculating on that in any way, shape or form. But I will say that, you know, Danilo did say that passing by that corner, he was thinking... I mean, why can't it be me next time? So clearly he was very, very, very emotionally impact, impacted. And you, you you could see it in his eyes and his voice in, in the whole demeanor. And the thing about that is, I don't, I, I'm pretty sure he didn't want to race because he said he, you know, he felt dirty doing it. But also Danilo Petrucci is in a contract year. Every race for him will make the difference as to whether or not he as to whether or not he'll be on the grid for 2022. Basically, every race is a chance to, to prove himself. Uh, it's it's just not it's not as simple. I mean, Jack Miller said that at the end of the day, you know, nobody's forcing us to do it. And he is correct to a point, but it's also, it's it's more complicated than that. It's 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 just more complicated than that. If, if we'd been watching uh, Club Race of Amateur Racers yesterday, not everyone would have wound out in the grid for that. But... Yeah. There's a huge... I, no, 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 Simon. I think the race wouldn't have happened. Maybe, maybe not. I think if it was a club race, yeah. But there's yeah. there's a huge difference between paying to be there on your CBR 600 that's 10 years old and being paid a million pounds to be there by a factory MotoGP team. And and that is... The pressure, the pressure put on these guys will never be spoken. It'll never be said in black and white, you have to race, but it's there. And it's not just, you know, we see it all the time. We don't just see it after things like this. We see it when riders have concussions. We see it when riders have injuries. We see it when riders aren't ready to race all the time. The pressure is there. Mm-hmm. And just coming half a step back to Petrucci, you know, the Proustal team are running KTMs. It, it it is a close-knit family i've been part of it it you know the the bikes are made in the same factory in the same place it's it's a big family and that's another another factor that yeah. may well have affected him especially 
especially at the minute to an extent, because everyone's sharing hospitality. Exactly. My point entirely. Okay, so uh, not easy for, for, for a lot of people on and off the racetrack. Um, let's move on to the Grand Prix again, shall we? Uh, we've, we've touched on Quattararo and how he just ran away with it, and that's why he's got this huge championship lead. But Miguel Oliveira, wow. Um, winner of Moto3, winner of Moto2 there. Wasn't going to win the Moto GP race, but wow, he's one of the favourites going into next year on current form. KTM overhauled things, new fuel. What's the lowdown on what they've done? Yeah, I mean, the, the company line through the weekend was uh, new chassis, which is a little bit of a tweak, which was tested at Jerez after the race and couldn't be used in Le Mans because the, the weather was weird. And new fuel. I mean, they've really been keen to talk up the fuel thing. I'm not... I can't tell you how much of a difference that makes. That does not sound like it would make this big a difference, but I, I don't know. It might very well just be that that's the case. But clearly, the combination worked really, really well. We have two KTMs in the top five, more or less on merit. And on a track, KTM has not been fantastic at when it did visit in the in the early years, compared even to the, its rest of the season form. So it's... It's a super good sign for the rest of the season. I mean, the, both all the championships are gone, obviously, but they can play serious spoiler now, at least. Yeah, I, for me, the fuel thing is... Um, that sounds like cover for what's actually happened. Um, th there's no way that running a new type of petrol in a bike is going to make that much of a difference in how fast the bike goes around a corner. The new chassis clearly has something special. Um, you know, this is the, and this is KTM strength. This is what we've seen they're capable of doing. They can take a factory or take a chassis back to the factory, cut a chunk out of it, weld in a different piece, and it responds slightly differently. It's all very tailored. But the problem they've had this year is that they've not been able to do that the way they used to because they've lost their concession status. They've not been able to test 20 different chassis over four days with Danny Pedroza because they're not allowed to anymore. So I think that's what we're seeing. The process is slowing down, but they're responding to that. And it's only going to get better in theory because KTM generally doesn't go backwards for very long. Uh, there's also some rumors floating around this weekend that there's some changes coming within the technical team. Uh, there's a rumor that they have headhunted a guy who has spent the past, the past year working for a car engineering company because his contract says he wasn't allowed to work for a GP team after leaving his role as Gigi Delinia's second in command at Ducati, where he's been since their MotoGP project started in 2002. That is a very KTM way to solve problems and to add talent, to just go and find the best that's available and say, yeah, you work for us now. Um, you know, they're working hard. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to say that um, everything's fixed because they've had one good weekend, but they had one good weekend with all four riders and KTM, you know, KTM tradition dictates it is probably the start of something a bit better. I also see in, uh, in the back of the garage that there's an ex-shower guy now working for WP. <laughs> uh, I hadn't noticed that until the weekend. But uh, yeah, he's quite a shy guy, but uh, he was in one of the pictures that I saw. So that's the KTM way. That's the KTM way. So yeah, they've had a, they had a good run. They had a good run. And it's indicative, 
like the Yamaha being so quick uh, in on Saturday afternoon and then Sunday afternoon, they've always had the straight line speed KTM. They've never been short of horses, but now it goes around corners and they can pick the throttle up earlier, which was the problem in the early days. They just couldn't get on the power early enough. So that fuel... It might be a cover. It's absolutely what I thought, Simon. But if the because they've changed fuel supplier, so if if it's just got a bit more yeah. pickup, then that will crisp it up a bit and make it a bit more punchy, as well as the new frame or whatever they've done to the chassis that that'll enable you to get the power on earlier. Just to add a little bit of detail on the fuel front. They've went with a, a new supplier called ETC, who are quite a small outfit. But from what I've heard. It's uh, kind of the senior engineering team from Elf, who a few years ago walked away from Elf, KTM's previous fuel supplier, and have now managed to poach KTM over with them, which I think has made a few people in France very unhappy. We shall find out that one. Um, it's fuel at the end of the day. It's it's an engineering exercise, isn't it? So they've got to get the job done. doesn't matter how you win, just win. Um so we lost Banyaya on the second lap, and then Marquez was trying to do his old tricks. And I think we've discovered after Le Mans and now Rigello that he still can't quite do it. He was trying to be Mark, but it's not yet there, Val. Yeah, uh, the pace wasn't really there all weekend. Uh, it took some very fun Q, uh, Q1 trickery to get through Q1 <laughs> to Q2. Um it was just clearly the physicality was really hampering him at, at Mijello, and I'm I'm not sure whether he would have comfortably finished the race anyway. But that said, that was kind of a bad mistake. That was a bit a bit not good. Um, I'm using <laughs> words that can be used. Uh, it was um, sort of he just misjudged the the attempted overtake on on Brad washed out into him. Brad wasn't really aware that he was there, and bam, contact, and he slides away. And Brad's airbag apparently inflates, and so he spends a lap riding around with his airbag, still finishes P5, so that's, that's pretty great. But from, from Marquez, that's now um, two, or you could say three, because he crashed twice in Le Mans. Uh, two or three real bad mistakes in back-to-back -back races. Um, I'm not sure what this race heralded for him, but the thing is, is that he is leaving a lot of points on the table and maybe he's resigned to the fact that they already don't matter for this season. But I think if he like won at Le Mans and finished even top 10 here, then maybe we'd start thinking about it a bit differently. But it's, yeah, I think, I, I think it was, it was, it was not good. I don't think it's worrying because honestly, even at his very, very, very best, Mark has made mistakes that have looked a bit naff. That's just sort of, kind of a thing that happens to his career but yeah yeah but it was naff in my book yesterday and it was it was, it yeah. was a it was a mistake in Le Mans as well that it was the same kind of mistake he made in Le Mans that he made in Jerez last year that caused him to have the act the, the, the injuries you know he, he'd done the difficult bit and then fell off doing the easy bit yesterday I thought was clumsy how do you view it Simon I think he's struggling with the fact that his body doesn't work the way he expects it to I think that's what we're seeing. The mistakes are coming because he can't quite do things that he used to be able to do at the minute. Uh, th there's just there's a there's a, a disconnect somewhere. Um, from what we've heard this weekend, from some things that have they've kind of been picked up on, 
he's not in a great condition and it's not entirely to do with a lack of muscle like we first assumed there has been some some nerve issues in the arm in the shoulder in particular let's not forget that the shoulder has caused him trouble for a lot longer than the the broken arm has and all of that is just it's still taking time to come back it's not there yet uh, you know, he he admitted at the weekend that there was even points when they thought after Portimao maybe he needed a few more races off to to get back to full speed. Um, you know, a big deal was made this week out of him leading into the race, doing some laps on a CBR six hundred at a go kart track outside Barcelona, but did a little bit of digging into that, and it turns out that some laps were very some laps. It was a very small number of laps. Because um, basically he he couldn't ride the bike. It, the physicality isn't there. So there there is still issues. And yeah, would anyone be surprised that Mark Marquez is overriding what his body is capable of doing? Considering Mark Marquez has spent the past ten years riding over what the Honda bike he's on is able to do. Oh, he's been playing with it like a cat and a ball of string hasn't he um we saw the limitations of his body on saturday afternoon sure he did q1 he got through q1 but he only did one run in q2 uh, you know he just sat there massaging his shoulder with his head pointing at the floor and nobody talking to him they just had to leave him to gather his, himself together that was a warning sign so yeah honda got a lot of work to do because paul he finished in 12th position. He said that a bit fell off the bike and it affected the aero. I don't know that it affected it to the tune of 26 seconds, but that was his excuse anyway. Honda have got to be so disappointed with Paul. Um, you know, it's it's not that very long ago that both him and the team were talking up how he was going to be a championship contender this season, how strong he was going to be, how he was going to be winning races. And it has been, it's just been disappointing. You know, we I, I I genuinely expected so much more from Paul because I thought his riding style would click with the Honda uh, from what we'd seen of his riding style in the KTM. And it's just not working. I don't know if that's more indicative of the problems at Honda than it is of Paul's issues adapting from one bike to another. But it's not the year they were planning. We have to remember that HRC signed Paul before Mark fell off. So were they bringing him into HRC to be a champion con championship consent contender? Of course they weren't. They were taking him to stop him being on a KTM that finished second and fifth yesterday. That's my take. Yes and no. I, I, I think Repsol Honda wouldn't waste a seat on someone that they thought was... He wasn't a huge... He wasn't the biggest threat. So I don't think that that's the approach they would have necessarily taken to eliminate someone who wasn't the biggest threat to Mark Marquez. There are other people out there that I would have been trying to lure onto a Rapsol bike to eliminate them from being somewhere else before him. Um, you know, the, the whole taking Jorge Lorenzo so that he wouldn't ride a Petros, uh, Petronas Yamaha is the perfect example of that one, maybe. Um, but... Uh, yeah, for me, they genuinely thought that with Paul, I think that they were going to get another Danny Pedroza. They were going to get someone who'd finish second to Mark half the weekends of the year and be a good wingman and help develop the bike. Um, when Simon says another Danny Pedroza, he means another Danny Pedroza from 
like six, five years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, like 2014, 2015, Danny yeah. Pedrosa. Yeah. Because ultimately this is just the, the the Honda thing of happening is that they, they, they're really struggling to find a, a wingman who can reliably ride that bike kind of in the same time code as Mark sometimes. Obviously, Mark has been doing wizardry on that Honda for, for years and years. But if you look at this, first, Pedrosa declined real, real bad. And I, I don't think that was just down to him. Then, obviously, neither Lorenzo nor Alex Marquez have really clicked as their replacement. I think Paul is, even in this really disappointing start to 2021, I think he is an upgrade on both. Because if you compare him to how Alex Marquez is doing on the LCR Honda right now, Paul is quicker. And ultimately, Paul did finish as the top Honda yesterday somehow because Nakagami, who's actually been pretty impressive this season, but also fell because he does tend to do that a bunch this season along with Alex Marquez, but at least Nakagami's reliably showing a turn of pace, whereas Alex seems to be in, in a real rut. Um, it's just, you know, I know F1 comparisons, here they come again, but it's just, it's a bit the Red Bull thing. They can't find, they can't click with the with the second package there. And I don't know if it's so geared around Marquez, because I don't think Marquez is loving that bike so much right now either. But it's, uh, I don't think Paul is doomed yet. I think there have been, at least, there has been more promising signs early on. But then again, there was the really good Alex Marquez weekend at Le Mans and Aragon, was it, last year? And even in Jorge Lorenzo, before he got hurt, there was the feeling that he'll figure it out eventually. So you can you can never know, you can never be sure. And it's it's definitely not the start, not the start Paul wanted. I think Honda have real problems in the sort of medium to long term now. Uh, they've signed a rider on a four-year deal that is prohibitively expensive, like like the most expensive MotoGP deal in history by double what they're paying Mark Marquez. Hundred million apparently. Yeah, if, over four years, twenty-five million a year, double what Ducati paid Jorge Lorenzo to come Sh from Yamaha. Colossal, colossal amount of money, but. I, I also believe they've bought a rider at the wrong time in his career. That is the deal you offer Mark Marquez in 2014, not the deal you offer him at 20, 29 years old when he is going to start to fade away a little bit because no one lasts forever. But what they've done on the other side of the garage is they've created this environment where the bike is hostile to riders. What Repsol Honda have done for the best part of 30 years is they've ha made a very difficult bike to ride that goes quite well whenever you're very, very talented, and then they've hired very, very talented riders. And because they're Repsol Honda, they've always managed to hire really talented riders. But now, there's lots of good bikes in MotoGP, and there's lots of really talented riders who don't want to go to Repsol Honda necessarily. Like, if you're Raul Fernandez or Pedro Acosta, do you stay a part of the KTM pro program or do you go to Repsol Honda if they offer you a load of money? Personally, <laughs> personally, Repsol Honda is not the bike you take anymore. And I, I think that is going to doom them in the next four or five years. You're absolutely right. But defending a team psychology, not an HRC psychology, defending a team psychology is when Mark did the deal, he hadn't fallen off. He was on top yeah. of the world. Yeah, of course he was, he was. He could walk to the moon. But um, 
when and you look back at the the statistics, everyone's time at the top of the world lasts doesn't last longer than ten years. Rossi didn't last longer than ten years. Dune didn't last longer than ten years. Agostini didn't last longer than ten years. No, that, Schumacher didn't last longer no, than ten that, years. That's Kenny's. That's Kenny's line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, it seemed like a good idea at the time, and both people signed the piece of paper. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and, and, and and if I was Mark's manager or Mark, oh, I'd be. Don't get me wrong. Mark Marquez was one hundred percent correct to sign it. Yeah, you would have been insane not to. You would have done it for half. Yeah, I mean, wow. Just, Three quarters. <laughs> yeah, but he, he. But at the end of the day, everybody agreed it was a good idea, and then he fell <laughs> off. That's the 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 thing. It's too. I'd, we mustn't fall into the box of hindsight because we could be. You know, I when when I was in the team, I'd call it them upstairs, the journalists. Because you, you, when when you're upstairs in the press office, you don't know everything that's going on in the garage, as we both know, Simon. You no, know, uh, that's true. But I will argue that that this is not an opinion I've only developed since Mark fell off. I've I've said for a while that we were coming to the end of a Mark Marquez era. Because because uh, for, no one lasts forever. No. For what it's worth, I'm still I still think we're at the risk of reverse hindsight too, where he wins 15 races in 2022, <laughs> and that deal looks fine again. Yeah, I think that's still entirely eminently possible. Yeah, yeah. And at the end of the day, you've got an oil company, and you got HRs, and you got the Honda Motor Corporation, Motor Company. Sorry. Um, they can get out of it. It's called money. Regardless of what happens, I'm not too upset about it costing reps all lots of money. They can afford it. Well, of course they can. Yeah, <laughs> of course they can. So uh, it'll all work out. It'll all work out. Um, there'll be a break clause in there somewhere because that contract will be thick enough to stop a lorry rolling downhill. <laughs> um, yeah. Talking about contracts and what he's going to do, um, we've touched on Valentino Rossi. He said that he wasn't bothered if the race did happen or didn't ha uh, did or didn't happen. Um, didn't cover himself in glory again. It was the highlight of the weekend was was the crash helmet and it, even the yellow army that I see occasionally on social media, not that I had much time on social media over the weekend, even they were a bit muted and a bit, this is now sad. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, 10th was the best the best possible result based on qualifying and based on FP4. It was it was a fine race for a back marker, but that's, that's, that's the, the name of the game right now. And... Uh, Valentino Rossi should not be a MotoGP backmarker, so I I think that's I think this is it, and uh, I think what Simon heard during the weekend uh, tallies with that, basically more or less. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like things will come to an end at the end of this season, from what I've heard. Um, certainly within the Batona Shamaha camp, there are plans now being made for twenty twenty two that don't involve Valentino Rossi. Um, at the end of the day, he's always said that he's here to have fun. And it's very, very, very difficult to imagine that yesterday was fun for him, you know? Yeah. He was second yeah. last at the first corner. Yeah. And and I think maybe maybe the, the reason that we're hearing rumors this weekend is because he's realized that it doesn't matter if there's 10,000 people or 10 people at Mugello. It, it's still depressing. It's a bit like a phrase uh, my dad had. Um, if you have a good holiday, don't keep going back. Because <laughs> you spoil the memories of the first or two good holidays you've had at the place. 
And my goodness me, he had some good memories at Mugello. <laughs> Holy smoke. Um, but, yeah, if it doesn't work there, then, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the news that we had over the weekend, another factor. Austria last year got away with it and all those things. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, another Yamaha. How much pressure should uh, Vinales... Uh, be under considering that he can't even get through Q1. Did he really have that little sleep after becoming a dad the week before the Grand Prix? <laughs> I looked, looked genuinely delighted to have become a dad, which obviously, congratulations. Uh, and the weekend just went apart, obviously. Um, he did, I think he did have enough speed to get to, to Q1 and just got uh, to get to Q2 and just got outsmarted by Mark. And I think. I think it is pretty damning of of his side of the garage that they did not have any particularly good ideas to stop Mark from doing what he was obviously always going to do. Mark could not have telegraphed it any clearer that that was his plan and all they could do is shrug and end up in 13th on the grid. 13th on the grid turned into, I believe, 16th on the opening lap or something like that, which is a trademark maverick. And then even when in clean air, the, the problem was he just he didn't didn't have a, a ton of pace, which is concerning, but also familiar when when it goes wrong from for Maverick, it goes really wrong when it goes right. It goes really, really right. But the problem is, is that the other side of the garage, there's now a guy for who it goes right and it goes right and it goes right and it goes right all the time. And yeah. I mean, again, I've, 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 I've proffered this opinion before, and I'll, I'll proffer it again. I think Yamaha plus Maverick Vinales equals has run its course. I think they, they need to both consider alternatives, but they have a 2022 deal signed already because everybody signs 600 years in advance. So enjoy that, I guess. <laughs> To, to, to agreed completely you know toby your original question was should he be under pressure well no because he's basically been doing this since 2017 for yamaha and they keep signing new contracts for him so clearly there's not much pressure to do any better otherwise they wouldn't give him another chance and another chance and another chance yesterday genuinely sounded again like like the Maverick we had in the middle of 2017, whenever he went through his phase of answering every question a journalist asked about the problems with the bike with Ask Yamaha, you know? All he could tell us was, I don't know what changed after FP1. I don't know what changed. Don't know what changed. I mean, the guy's a factory MotoGP rider with a ton of experience and a huge amount of talent. And he's saying, I don't know what went wrong. It's just not good enough. I mean, uh, Having had like thirty seconds to reflect on what I said, I do realize it. It's it it's it was awful hard wor words can, harsh words considering the the weekend everybody's just had and Maverick's obviously an emotional guy too. So I'm sh I'm I'm sure what happened affected him massively, uh, and it's not uh, it's not to denigrate him. I I think he's capable of amazing things on a MotoGP bike, and I think it's just uh, he's not currently living up to my expectations and my memory of what a peak condition Maverick Vinales can do. Maverick Vinales is not a number two MotoGP rider. At his best, he is your franchise man and he needs to find that place. And I really I really hope he does because we will all be better for it. It'll be very, very exciting if he does. 
I, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, beat yourself up too much over what you've just said, Val, because I genuinely I don't think he is a very emotional guy and he does wear his heart in his sleeve one hundred percent. But I don't think this weekend would have been any different if if things had ended happier. I think that was you know that's because this is a Maverick Vinyas performance that we've seen over and over again. Um, one guy who was having a good go, and I thought, can he do it? Can he do it? Can he do it? Um, Johan Zarco. Uh, yeah, he was up there. Eventually, though, the agility of the Yamaha, the KTM, the Suzuki, because we've got to get round to Juan Mir, who finished third in a minute, uh, ahead of Juan Zarco. But I thought that was going to be the Italian shining light, the glimmer of light that they could have come the flag. But he did end up with a brand new fastest lap and a new lap record by some huge margin, 0.6.8 of a second or so. Finally, the uh, lap record from 2013 has tumbled. Why has it taken that long? Never mind. It's done, and it's gone to Zarco. Um, they must be pretty happy, Pramac. They've done another huge deal with Ducati going forward for many a year. Uh, Zarco's fourth and almost still invisible because he keeps his mouth shut and just gets on with the job. That was a really, really good weekend for, for Zarco, especially considering he didn't look that strong on, on Friday, really. And there were major doubts over his race pace, but he, he salvaged a really good result on a weekend where Ducati did look more flawed than expected. Um, there are question marks in my mind as to whether with results like these at some point in his mind, it'll be like, maybe I, I really should be in that factory team and he'll 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 start to feel things about that. But right now, Still in the in the honeymoon honeymoon phase with Pramac, it's going real well. Uh, sky's the limit for this year. Done done really well. I, I think the good thing about being a Ducati satellite rider is that he'll be made to feel quite a bit like he is in the factory team. Uh, Gigi Delaney will be in the box at the end of every session to ask him how he's feeling and how he's doing, and Paolo Chibati will be there when there's a good result and Davide Tardazzi will be there when there's a bad result and they'll look after him, they'll make him feel factory even if he's not and they'll pay him, you know, from what I've heard almost as well as the factory riders so uh, I think I think he's a different character than he was whenever he went to KTM as a factory rider I think he's learned a lot and I think he'll be quite happy with his lot in life Yeah, but you want to wear that red I mean, there's no way he doesn't look at the mirror and be like, man, those those red overalls, they look so good on me. I mean, the, the appeal is, <laughs> it, even if it, it doesn't make a tangible difference to the results or the performance, like, that's just something you want, or I would want, at least, if I was yeah. Johan, which I am not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, we said it before in these podcasts. Works, Ducati rider. Tick. That's pretty mm -hmm. goddamn cool, isn't it? <laughs> And actually, because I'm a bit older than you two, still, and I think you get it. I think you get it. Works HRC rider, pretty goddamn yeah. cool, you know. Oh, yeah. It's still got some kudos about it. There's a, you know, it's completely off topic, but there's a reason why Justin Bieber released a music video on Twitter the other day wearing a HRC T-shirt because it's bloody cool. Bloody cool. Correct. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll go with that all day, all day. Um, 
the uh, the Jaws music, as always, kicked in. What was it? Five, six laps from the end. The two Suzukis were there. We ended up with Juan Mir, reigning world champion, let us not forget, on the podium, just 0.4 of a second back of Oliveira. Podium covered by three seconds. But unfortunately for the team, his teammate wasn't quite behind him. Well, he was when he crashed for the fourth row, fourth race on the bounce. I like the kid. He 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 won one of the best Grand Prix I've ever attended, Silverstone, last time we were there. Oh, dear, oh dear. And it's not easy to ride a bike. Let's get that clear. We're just journalists, blah, blah, blah. But... Especially on that day. Especially this Sunday, it was not easy to ride a bike. So, no. Yeah. But, but, but I think that the problem is that no one's doubting Alex Rins' ability to ride the bike. It's it, The problem's not his talent or his skill. It's just... He just needs to stop switching off his brain because all of these crashes, every time it looks like he, something happens. He never crashes whenever he's 10 seconds clear. He never crashes when he's got clear track. He crashes when he's trying to override. He crashes and when he, he's chasing. And yeah, he was chasing yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He was chasing his teammate, yeah. which is the worst possible place to be as a rider, watching your teammate starting to ride away from you. Um, you know, and that's that's where they all come from. They all come from whether he, whenever he's either chasing someone or whenever he's just hunted someone down and made it into the lead and there's someone breathing down his neck. He needs to learn how to cope with that pressure uh, because he is very, very talented. Arguably, he's the fastest Suzuki BotoGP rider in the grid. Because mm. on his day, he is faster than his teammate. <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, he, he just... He, if I were him, if I were the people around him, I'd be looking at the way that people like Fabio Quartararo have learned recently how to manage pressure. I'd be going out and finding who they're talking to and what they're telling them, and I'd be putting someone like that in Alex Rins's ear. I mean, those four crashes in a row. Mm -hmm. Let's 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 run by them. Portimao crashes while chasing Quartararo, I believe. Jerez crashes while trying to overtake Mir around the outside because he's clearly in a hurry. Le Mans crashes while coming out second out of the pits on, on wets. And here, crashes while chasing Mir. At, at, this is not a coincidence, I think. And if it's not a coincidence, that means it's fixable. But also, it's really frustrating. I, I'm sure Suzuki, very frustrated too because... Uh, this guy clearly has the pace to be championship contender, and instead he's languishing at the other end of the standings somehow. I wonder what Davide Brivio would say if he was still in blue. Um, he is in blue, Davide Brivio. He is in blue, but it's a different blue. <laughs> I, I was waiting for that, yeah. and I lined you up. You knock him in. Um, Bastianini, that crash before the start... Um, we didn't see it completely clearly from the outside camera, but we know what happened. Um, yes, it's a mistake. Yes, it was a crash. Yes, he didn't start the race because he hit Johan Zarco up the uh, the back of the bike just as they were rolling to the grid. Zarco was doing a brake test or getting the suspension low so that he could get it all clicked in for the start. Ultimately, though, unfortunately, on the insurance documents, it will say you hit the person in front of you. You weren't looking where you were going. That's what the insurance documents will say. And that's maybe why nothing was said after the race, or did I miss something? Uh, well, both sessions were cancelled because of the, the circumstances of the weekend. 
Um, Bastianini, from what he did tell the TV crews, basically, I think there was a hint of the suggestion that Zarco braked too heavily, but it's apparently it's pretty customary to get do that on the grid for brake temperature sake. Uh, so yeah, just to figure out, I don't know what the stewards made of it just yet because it was placed under investigation. Then I don't think we got an update ever, so that's fun. But uh, yeah, it's just it's a it's a it's a wacky one. He'll learn from, and at least on the on the flip side, qualifying was real good. And on the flip side, also, um, it looks like he's going to be fine for 2022, which is really good. I caught up with a former Grand Prix winner last night who said, when I join the grid, I never, ever, ever join directly behind another rider. You always make sure you're offset slightly. Ricky mistake. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that sums it up that. So, yes, uh, he won't do that again in a hurry. Uh, quite interesting that Ducati covered up the tail section of Zarco when he came back to Park Ferme as well, with all the little box of tricks in there. I'm sure Spalders was bristling to try and see what was going on in there, but he stuck with the television. Nah, I'm convinced it's empty and they're just doing it to mess with us. <laughs> well, they're uh, they're achieving it very, very well indeed. We now move on to Catalonia, back-to-back -back Grand Prix. Simon's got a big drive, uh, I know, because I've done it, and so has Simon, and it's further than you think to go from <laughs> uh, from Tuscany down to uh, down to Barcelona, but that was a while ago for me, and I had a quicker car. Not to say that your van is slow, but uh, good days. I like that drive. I like that drive. So yeah, I'm a little bit envious of you, even if it is a long way. No rush. No rush. I'm indeed. a no rush. I'm a no rush. Next next stop, uh, Monaco, to hopefully catch up with a former KTM MotoGP rider who's resident there, one Mr. Bradley Smith. Catch up with him down there. And... Uh, Yes, tell us how much a coffee is at the uh, Café de Paris, because it'll be eye-watering. He earns more than me, yeah. he can pay. Exactly, <laughs> is the right answer. Yes. <laughs> okay, Val, Simon, thank you so very much. We now look forward to Catalonia this coming weekend and our podcast that we will record after the race. Keep in touch with the-race.com, our website with all of our MotoGP news that will come out this week. In the meantime, we remember Jason Dupasquier. Stay safe, everyone. <laughs>